It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Reds show just how good their pitching can be over the five-game series in St. Louis, and Nick Lodolo didn't even pitch. There are two obvious names that you should be excited about in the Reds' rotation and pitching staff as a whole, but for completely different reasons. And did the Cardinals cheat? We're going to discuss that on today's Locked On Reds. You are Locked On Reds. Your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds with myself, Jeff Carr, and Stephen Offenbaker is not with me today. He'll be back on tomorrow's episode. I am a lifelong Cincinnati Reds fan that has turned an addiction to this team into information for you. Locked On Reds is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks, as always, for making us your first listen. We're free and available on all platforms, including right here on YouTube. If this is your first time, thank you. Make sure that you are subscribed and you click that bell to get notified each and every time we've got some new Reds content for you on today's Locked on Reds podcast. We've got a lot to talk about where it comes with this five game series for the Cincinnati Reds, because I come away feeling pretty good about what the Reds did. Sure. They were two and three. They didn't win the series, but I thought they played very well. We're going to break down exactly how well on the pitching side and, and what's going on with the lineup and things like that. Plus i got a question for you, and I'm, I'm curious as to what you thought about this. I'm going to give you my answer and kind of what I saw as I researched it and stuff like that. But did the Cardinals cheat in that second game on Saturday night when you were in the bottom of the 11th inning, bases were loaded, nobody was out, quick ground ball right to Senzel, makes a nice diving stop, has a chance to make a play at the plate, and he hits Andrew Kisner on the elbow with the throw. Now there's a lot more to it, and we're going to break that down coming up here in just a little bit, but give me your reactions in the comments section here in YouTube, or hit me up on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three Fs. But we've got to start first and foremost with the most positive thing of the weekend, and that was Red's pitching. Red's pitching was absolutely phenomenal. Holy pitching, Batman, like absolute beautiful stuff. And really, if you do a little bit of selective stat mining and you kind of cut Mike Miner out of this, it's even better. We'll get to that in just a moment. But after allowing 23 runs in four games to the Pirates, they turn around and in five games against the Cardinals, they got a better lineup than the Pirates do. They only allow 14 runs. Absolutely beautiful pitching. And for me, and for a lot of people, the biggest part of this is Hunter Green. Hunter Green comes back on Saturday and is every bit phenomenal. Looks like he never missed any time whatsoever. Absolutely amazing performance. And he showed the one thing, and you can look at the stat line, you see the six innings, you see the 11 strikeouts, no walks, amazing stuff there. But the thing that really impressed me, and it wasn't so much it's like, oh, he came back with a changeup or something like No, no, no. He did the one thing that every pitcher says is the most dangerous pitch that any pitcher 
can have a fastball that they can locate, but Hunter green doesn't just locate a fastball. He locates a fastball that's at 101 miles an hour routinely. He set the record for most 101 mile an hour fastballs in a game. He was averaging almost 101 miles an hour period on his fastball. He was over a hundred with just about every throw that he made. And he looked super strong after the game. He answered as to kind of like, you know, was this your strongest start in, in, in what, what got you here during your time away? You know, I, I worked hard in this time, you know, off and rehabbing and, um, kind of in a way I'm trying to upgrade myself. Um, you know, for this last part of the season and going into the offseason and next year. Um, so I, I, there's a lot of focus there with that. So, uh, yeah. I'm really looking forward to his sophomore year because, yeah, I, I think it's going to be better. I think he's going to add that third pitch and add the confidence with that third pitch. But also, kind of like you mentioned, he was really focusing on strength and he was really focusing on bettering himself in that way. And now that he knows the grind of a major league season, he can get himself ready for that. Dude's an athlete. Dude is going to absolutely be amazing for this team moving forward. I think a lot of people like to look at the ERA and think, oh, well, that's it. He's done. That's not the case at all. Because if you saw that start on Saturday, which I know a lot of you may have not because, well, college football is back, and that's probably what you had your attention on. But if you missed it, Hunter Green was phenomenal. If he wanted to put the fastball high in the zone, if he wanted to put low in the zone over here, over there, it was everywhere that Austin Romine asked for it. There was not a situation where it was like, okay, Austin Romine's sitting low and away, and he has to dive up and try and make a catch because Hunter Green was wild with the fastball today. That wasn't the case. And then he drops in that velocity and you're like, what is a hitter supposed to do with that? And then he can drop the slider in. He can tunnel it very well. Honestly, that's the thing. Like if you can take your two pitches and you can make them look similar, but then the slider obviously breaks completely different from the fastball and you've got a 101 mile an hour fastball and a 90 mile an hour slider. That's deadly, man. Just give me that third pitch, and you don't even have to throw it that much. A couple of times an inning, just make sure you're confident with it, and it's not a complete waste pitch like we've seen his changeup be. You're talking about the ace that we all expected. It's just so great, though. We're, we're going to spend the entire offseason, and Steve and I, and, and you as well, debating as to who is the best pitcher on this staff. And it's not for lack of pitching. It's because everyone is so talented. But there's also another name because we talked about Hunter Green. Another name who we've mentioned last week because he's turning in some nice performances, but he pitched really well on Sunday, man, and that's Luis Sessa. Luis Sessa coming into this season, for me anyway, was bullpen ace 1A, right up there with Lucas Sims. Thought, okay, this is the kind of guy that you want to rely on when you need to get some outs late in the game. But he's changing the narrative around himself. He's making a real case for the rotation which is amazing because the more starting pitching you have, the better, right? I mean, you can never have enough starting pitching. There is every single playoff team ever at the trade deadline. They always list, well, they could have another starter. You know, you could add another guy that would give you some depth. Luis Sessa, at the very least, on a good Reds team, is starting pitcher depth, has the ability to maybe take a step forward. Maybe he is a fourth or fifth starter. 
Now, I, I don't, I'm not ready to say that just yet, but I th certainly think that he has given himself uh, that audition in spring training and maybe in April and May next year to see just how well he takes the offseason, how well he can keep himself in shape. Now, I mean, he threw five scoreless innings on Sunday. Beautiful stuff. He only had 1K, but at the end of the day, I mean, did you get the outs? And he got the outs, and he didn't give up runs. And he only had one hit allowed, too. Like, the, the Reds were so adept at limiting this Cardinals lineup that has been on fire for pretty much the last three months. And they were able to shut them down in a way that was super exciting. Now, it's not something to say like, oh my gosh, this just shows that the whole entire year's been a fluke for the Reds. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that it's been very impressive to watch this team pitch. Like, just looking at this real quick, because when you're talking about four of the five stars, I'm going to leave Mike Miner out of this because, well, it's my show. I can do that. But Chase Anderson, Fernando Cruz as an opener, Hunter Green and Luis Sessa baffled the Cardinals. Spot the lie. 17 and two-thirds innings. They only allowed one earned run. All four of them, Chase Anderson included, allowed one earned run. Only 10 base runners, six hits and four walks, and 18 strikeouts. Baffled the Cardinals. That was amazing to see. This is why I say that I'm very happy with the way that the Reds played in this series. I know they didn't win it. That would have been phenomenal. But we were coming into this series after the Pirates series and thinking, oh my gosh, this could be nine losses in seven days. They could get swept in a five-game series. But they did. They they completely flipped the script on Thursday. Played phenomenally, but did not win on Saturday in the second game of the doubleheader. And then they won on Sunday. I mean, for they were they were inches away, probably, of taking three out of five. They really were. But when Reds pitching performs less well, that they will be in a position to beat anyone. And I am so encouraged to see that. Now. Speaking of the second game of that doubleheader on Saturday, did the Cardinals cheat? I'll give you my thoughts on that after I tell you where you can find information on your next bet that's so good, you'll feel like you're cheating. And that's at Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all of your sports wagering information, whether you're talking about Major League Baseball, college football, like I mentioned, the NFL. Uh, they've got combat sports like boxing and MMA. They've got futures for the NBA and NHL, which those seasons are coming up here soon. Love this time of year, man. But when we're looking in on the Reds, um, <clears throat> we forgot to pronounce time of death the other day, but yes, we are officially past the point where the Reds can hit the over. Steve and I, how much we advocated for the Reds to hit the over, but yes, the Reds will not hit the over at 73 and a half wins. They would have to win every single one of their games and they'd still only get to 73. So yeah, they're mathematically eliminated from hitting that. Now they won't lose today though, because they're not playing. However, you should check out the Mets and the Brewers because Max Scherzer and Corbin Burns are going to be pitching. That's going to be a good one. And actually, Max Scherzer, since the Mets are on the road, they're in Milwaukee. Max Scherzer's an underdog. I'm not telling you how to spend your money, but <clears throat> that seemed like a pretty good bet. And if you want to check out some good bets, go to betonline.net because they've got you covered for every single sport, every single season, every single day. Because bet online is where the game starts. 
Coming up tomorrow, Steve and I will get you set for the final series of the season between the Reds and a non-division opponent. Heck, this team isn't even in the National League. They're facing the Red Sox. And I'm sure we'll all reminisce about 1975 again. Or at least, you know, wish that I was alive back then. All right. Uh, yeah, let's talk about this whole, uh, game two of the doubleheader on Saturday, because that was just insane. I was this close. I was kind of tired, but I was this close to doing an emergency live reaction podcast because holy crap, did the Cardinals just cheat to win a game? No, no, they didn't. That was not cheating. And as much as I hate to say it, uh, what Andrew Kisner did and what Oliver Marmol, manager of the St. Louis Cardinals, said after the game is exactly why I can't stand the Cardinals because it just feels like they're on another plane of competition from the Reds. Like, uh, honestly, tell me honestly that you hate the Cardinals because they suck. Because you can't say that. We hate the Cardinals because that's where we want the Reds to be. That's what we want to see from our team. And our team just never seems to do that. They did not cheat to win that game. That was absolutely the perfect play. Like, I, I feel like so often we focus on, you know, who was just the most amazing pitcher, who was the most amazing hitter that hit a million home runs in a game or something like that. But too often we miss the important base running plays. Now, this one was very obvious. Every single game, there's a very important base running play. Maybe a guy goes first to third. Maybe a guy scores from second. Maybe a guy scores from first, and that's a little bit more obvious. But in this play, with the bases loaded, nobody out. In the bottom of the 11th inning for the Cardinals, they just needed one run. And Kinzer was actually the ghost runner uh, for this. So Fernando Cruz did not get a uh, earned run for giving this up. But yeah, whatever. Stupid rules. Um, but yeah, so Kinzer's on third and a ground ball is hit straight to Nixon Zell who had come in from the outfield because the Reds were employing a five man infield, kind of like the Cardinals did in that really, really long game a couple of weeks ago, so many times and succeeded. And it looked like it was going to succeed this time because it was right to Senzel. They even maybe had a chance to turn two with a quick throw home and a quick throw to first. But what happened was Andrew Kisner, who started on the dirt part of the base path, shifted his lane and he ran in on the grass. And it was absolutely brilliant because if you look, and they had a great camera angle too behind Nixon Zell. If you look at Nixon Zell's like vantage point, the only way he could have thrown him out at home is if you had Austin Romine like stretching in foul territory, almost toward the backstop. And Nixon Zell had to throw it on a weird angle behind the runner. It was never going to happen. Like you could go back in time and tell Nixon Zell to do that. And I don't think that it works because Andrew Kisner blocked the plane of throwing so perfectly and so legally that there was no chance to get him out. In fact, I was very intrigued when I found this. I, I was looking this up the other day. I'm trying to figure out exactly what the rules were on this sort of situation. And according to, and this is, this is from umpirebible.com, but they have baseball rules on there, so it's important. They were talking about the base path. It's important to know that there is actually no such thing 
as a base path. Now there are rules stated like, you know, you can't run backwards and you can't run all crazy and stuff like that. But the only time a base path is established is when a defender who has the ball in his glove attempts to tag the base runner. That's when the, uh, base path is established. So, you know, guy catches it, sets up for the tag. At that point, the base runner is able to move three feet to his left or three feet to his right. And that's it. Any more than that. And he's out of the base path. Now, if there's no tag attempt, there's no base path. And that line, a lot of people were saying, well, that's a baseline. That's the foul line. Like you're not going to judge. And the umpire does not judge a base path based on the foul line. So with that, Andrew Kisner was totally within his rights. And kudos to Oliver Marmol because he said that they practiced that scenario in spring training. That's the only time and you know, whatever, if they practice it, if they didn't, I don't care if he was lying. The, the fact that he even had the presence of mind to think about that, whatever in spring training, if you practice stuff like that, that's like next level stuff. That's galaxy brain baseball. So kudos to Oliver Marmol on that. But when it came to that play, I, I thought it was very interesting because they asked Austin Romine after the game, what he thought of it. Cause Romine along with David bell were arguing with the umpires or at least are, it looked like they were arguing. They actually said later, they're trying to clarify exactly what happened. This is what Romine had to say about the play. I mean, yeah, no, it's a tough play. Um, sends me some great play diving into the ball runner creates his lane on the outside of third base. I moved to the inside to field the throw says throw the ball runner veers off into the fair territory couple feet gets hit as far as I was told by the umpires that that's legal. And that's the hard part. Cause he said, well, the runner created his lane on the outside, but there's no lane. There's no base path. That's the hardest. When I read that, it took me a couple of times to reread that rule because it was like, wait, there's no such thing as a base path. Only if there's a tag play, that's it. And then that's when you start judging as to when a runner is out of the base path. Very confusing to think about that, but Hey, there you go. Your rule lesson for the day. And I'm sure Chris Welsh has more over on his website talking about this, but that play was just so phenomenal in such a weird way, because I look at this and I say, you know, this is the kind of thing, the number of times the Cardinals do this kind of things to the reds. I can't count. It feels like an innumerable amount of times we see the Cardinals do something that we're like, And the Reds do that, or I mean, I mean, the Reds couldn't have done it in this case, but it just feels like there's so many times the Reds get one over on the Cardinal or the, the Cardinals get one over on the Reds and I mean, it's, it's fine. It's within the rules of the game. And then the number of times that the Reds do that to anyone else, not just the Cardinals, anyone, I also can't count because I can't remember them doing that when it comes down, because don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I like the Cardinals. I'm saying I kind of respect them. I'll give them, I'll give them respect because it just seems like the reds have always looked up at the Cardinals, at least in my lifetime as a reds fan, the red, the Cardinals are, and have been for a while where the reds and us reds fans want our team to be. Spot the lie. Cardinals are just better. They develop better. They do better when it comes to acquiring and, and spending money and things like that. That Paul Goldschmidt trade, 
every time I look at that trade, I'm like, why on earth did the Diamondbacks do that? Terrible, terrible trade for them. Terrible, terrible trade for the Rockies, for Nolan Arenado. The Cardinals fleece people. And, and maybe it's not like, you know, it's not like John Mosaliak goes into each trade negotiation like, how can I get one over on these guys? It just happens that way. And maybe he does. I don't know. I don't know John Mazaliak, but I, I, I got to give him props. As much as I say that I hate the Cardinals, it's not because the Cardinals are like, you know, grr, grr. I, now I don't really like Yadier Molina, but once he's gone, it's not like I'm going to be looking at somebody on the Cardinals team and being like, that's a terrible person right there. It's not. I think that I kind of just hate the Cardinals out of jealousy. And I think if you're honest about it, You'd probably agree because as much as it pains me to say it, the Reds need to be like the Cardinals. As much as we, we keep talking about, you know, the Reds are trying to emulate the Rays and do the things that the Rays do and try to be like the Rays and things like that. Be like the Cardinals. I like what the Cardinals do and they win world series. Rays haven't done that. We looked at the magnificence of Reds pitching earlier in this series. Let's get back to funner things. Let's talk about the Reds. We looked back at how the Reds pitched in this series, and it was phenomenal. Now it's time to check in on the survivalists. <clears throat> you know, the Reds lineup. We'll do that next. But first, uh, if you're not already doing so, in between episodes, like to tweet about the games, like to give my observation about the games, and about other things as well, you can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three Fs. You can also follow Steve at S. Offenbaker with two Fs. And you can follow the show at Lockdown Reds. Also, make sure you're following us right here on YouTube. We're going to be having some live shows coming up. Got some good stuff too. On the way, we're going to have Tom Nichols on later this week to break down the dragon season, all the different prospects that he saw some guys, the reds are having a couple of very important prospects going to the Arizona fall league. So we're going to have lots of coverage on the Arizona fall league, but we'll get you set for that as well. All right. Looking back on this series, let's talk about the reds, uh, lineup. It's been a little bit rough. Uh, I, I mentioned survivalists and things like that. It's, it, it's like a survival reality show. You're just hoping that they can do enough. Like, you know, you, you watch those shows and they get dropped in the middle of nowhere. And you're just like, just do enough, man, get through this. Just do exactly enough of what you need to do. That's really all we're hoping for at this point from the lineup. There's not going to be, and I know they had the, the game the other day where it was 10, nothing, but that was a while ago. It feels like, because this lineup, it, it feels like if they get four runs, they've like stretched themselves or something or five runs or six runs. You're like, Holy crap. How do they do that? Because they just don't hit with runners in scoring position. When it seems like things are going well and, and when times are, you know, flush and you're like, yeah, there's base runners all over the place. In these last five games, the reds lineup has been a microcosm of pretty much the season since the trade deadline and really even more so for the entire season. Four for 39 with runners in scoring position. Now, I know you're talking about batting average with runners in scoring position gets a lot of analytical minds just absolutely angry. 
because it's a circumstantial stat. You need guys on base to do it. It's not as if it's the batter's fault. But when I look at it from a team perspective, it's a team's fault because you got to have guys on base, but you got to have guys at the plate that's going to make the going to actually do the thing, right? Got to get that hit. Got four for 39 over the last five games. Now, kudos to them for having 39 opportunities against the Cardinals with runners in scoring position. Cardinals pitching has been pretty well, too. It's the reason that they're so far ahead in the NL Central. Their whole team is good. But the Reds were right there with them in every single one of these games. Even the game that Mike Miner just blew up in, the Reds were still kind of in that game in a couple of innings. They had guys in scoring position. They had guys on base. They just didn't do anything with them. As you see, there were 35 opportunities that went just there we go out the door. Terrible, 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 terrible. But I will say this. There are two guys who I was impressed with, and both of them we talked about last week as being in the camp of um, not rehab, but um, maybe it's rehab fixing their game, you know, um, Thinking of HGTV show. I mean, I'm on reality TV for some reason. Anyway, guys who are absolutely working on their game, working on their plate appearances. And that's Aristides Aquino and Nick Senzel. They both had nice series. Now, Aquino had four hits in the first two games and then didn't have another hit. But his Thursday home run was the difference maker. The Reds won because of that home run. Absolutely phenomenal performance from him lately. In fact, you can look back at his last 15 games, and Aquino has a batting average of 268 and an OPS of 906. That'll play. In fact, I kind of like to see him in the middle of the order for the last 15 games of this season. I'm just talking about the last 15 games of the season. Don't lose your minds. I'm not talking about middle of the order for the rest of his life. 15 games for the rest of this season put Aristides Aquino in the middle of the order. I'm going to tell you why in just a moment. But Nick Senzel also had a very nice series, a couple of multi-hit games, five hits total in the series. And overall, he's looking a lot more comfortable at the plate because that's something that we've noticed all year. And something we talked about is that he just looked antsy in the batter's box. It looked like he was trying to get six hits for every at-bat that he had, which can't do that. It's not, it's impossible. You can only get one hit and one at bat just in case you didn't know that. But when it came to him in this series, he looked a lot more comfortable. It really looks like he is settling into the adjustments that him and Alan Zinter are working on. So I'm very intrigued to see how he goes over these last 15 games where you've got two against Boston. You've got, um, your last series against the Brewers, your last series against the pirates, and then six games against the Cubs. How does Nixon Zell continue with these adjustments? How does Aristides Aquino continue with these adjustments? But the reason that I say I want Aristides Aquino in the middle of the order. So two guys that I liked, one guy that I'm concerned about, a guy that we had talked about since the trade deadline had been on fire. But honestly, if you go back and you look from the trade deadline through the uh, Philadelphia series, Donovan Solano was on fire, absolutely killing it. A lot of multi-hit games, a lot of RBIs. You love to see it. Since that series, since the Washington series, when the Reds went to the Nationals to now, 21 games. Donovan Solano is batting 176. He has as many hits as strikeouts. 
13. Now, again, that's kind of a kudos to him not striking out that much, but he's just not getting hits. He's kind of become an automatic out. And he played three of the five games in St. Louis. He went one for 11. And he's constantly hitting in the middle of the order. That's a constant out when you absolutely need production. The Reds are getting production from Aristides Aquino. I say move Aquino to the middle of the order, move Solano down. Again, it's the final 15 games of the year. Part of this is just experimental, and it's not as if it's that big of a deal if they don't do it, but I feel like this would be good for Aquino. This would be a nice little test for him. Be like, look, we think that you are one of the most productive dudes in this lineup over the last two months. Show us, you know? We, we talked about he wasn't even in the conversation. Like, Jose Barrero was in the show me conversation. Aristides Aquino was nowhere near that conversation. Whenever the Reds brought him up to play every day, closer to the trade deadline. And since then, I think he has inserted himself into that conversation again. Yes, Aristides Aquino has inserted himself into the conversation of should he be here for the future, sink or swim. Now, his sink or swim thing is, okay, what are you going to do with these last 15 games? We'll see if you should be in the lineup next year. And if that's the case, then next year is an audition. He is in a constant audition to see if he should stick with the team. But we know what we get out of him in the field. The Cardinals weren't running whenever he picked up the ball. They saw him pick up the ball like, ball might as well be in the infield. Nobody's going anywhere. The respect that other teams have for that dude's arm as, and it's well warranted is phenomenal. So if he can do anything at the plate, you're talking like, I, I, I don't have in a good season for Aristides Aquino at the plate. I want him to hit like 220 and slug like around 480, something like that. Almost be Adam Dunn. Maybe it's the number 44 on his back. I don't know. But I think that's where we're going to end today's podcast because, look, the Reds lineup is, is it's the survivor man Reds lineup. Just do enough. Do enough to get the win because the pitching has showed it can keep you in a winning spot. So it will show that they belong in the Reds lineup next year over these last 15 games. That's the question that Steve and I will be covering every day right here on the Lockdown Reds podcast. Thank you so much for checking out today's episode. On tomorrow's podcast, Steve and I will get you ready for the Red Sox. Reds got a pair with the Red Sox at Great American Ballpark starting on Tuesday. Looking forward to seeing those two games. But now go check out the Locked On MLB podcast as Paul Francis Sullivan has you covered for league-wide news. What's going on? What's the biggest thing happening? Probably going to be talking about Aaron Judge a little bit on the Locked On MLB podcast. It's just like Locked On Reds, free and available on all platforms. All right. There's only 15 games left. The over's not happening, but there's still plenty of questions around some guys who could be key contributors for the future of the Reds. So you can keep it right here every single day to figure out what those guys are up to and if anybody else is inserting themselves into the conversation because we are locked on Reds every single day. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.